everyone. Danny here. I am with Adam. Hello. And Benny. Hello. Three dads. Oh, well, maybe. Well, actually, yeah, two dads and a future dad, actually. Well, I think, Adam, the first thing we have to talk about, obviously, is the no. impetus. Uh, what? I want to know how you're all doing. <laughs> oh, okay, I care sorry. about your well-being. I want to know sorry. that first. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, good point. I'm okay. I'm okay. I've had a weird, like, wobble the past few days. Wobble? Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. Just like, I, th- I think, I think I genuinely have, I'm actually having a weird midlife crisis. Not in the sense of I'm going to go out and buy a motorbike and dye my hair blonde, but good. you know that weird kind of just thinking about life a lot and what it means and the direction it goes and all the stuff it does to you. I don't know why, yeah. but I think it was watching Dark that did it. <laughs> <laughs> it's all, all that like 1980s German time travel. Yeah, it's uh, it's messed me up. <laughs> I could see you dyeing your hair blonde though. Oh yeah, I, frosty yeah, tips. Preferably with, preferably with a big purple streak going for it as well. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Shout out, shout out to my boy. Shout out to my boy. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know. And I did. I dyed. I dyed my hair loads of colours back in the day. But yeah, that's not going to happen. But I, I said to Sarah, I said I think I've genuinely hit some weird kind of midlife crisis where I keep thinking about life and things. It's very peculiar. That's called yeah. the turn of forty. Yeah, I think it, you're it right. is because you're forty in like what less than a month. Uh, just over a month, about five weeks. Just over a month. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. But the the, clock's but, ticking. I think. Speci- I think. Like. Um. Statistically, you are midlife. Well, I plan on living to 150. Oh. So there's a bit of way to go, just yet. <laughs> Ow. Third life. You are a third life. Crisis. Third life. It's a third I mean, life crisis. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, based on my diet and general like approach to exercise and fitness, I think I'm well past midlife now. Just <laughs> the age of 38. <laughs> I think all I've got to look forward to is a heart attack or a stroke and hopefully take me out quickly. <laughs> or maybe it just hits you so bad you don't even realise what's going on. I think I'd be happy with that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It it, it just gives me like instant dementia. Yeah, and I think I, I, just, could, I could... I just lose all coherence. Just don't know what's going on anymore. Kids have to look after me now. Doesn't matter how old you are. I think I'll slip into dementia quite easily, actually. I think it'll be a, a smooth transition for me. Like a yeah. warm bath. Yeah, yeah, like a warm bath. Like getting high, like when you know people die of hypothermia, or people who come back yeah. from the like they kind of come back from the brink of death. They say, "I just, I just suddenly felt really warm and comfortable." Like, wow, that sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah. That that's why all my clothes are off, officer. It's dementia, <laughs> early onset dementia. It's nothing oh, to do with the Asian massage I was receiving. <laughs> yeah, shout out, uh, shout out, Bobby Kraft in New England. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what's weird though? Is like I'm I'm a we'll get to the we'll get to parenting in a bit. I promise. I'm a big believer in the human subconscious, and I don't know where I've picked this up from. I may be just like watching or listening to too much Joe Rogan or something when he has like physicists on, or he has like Brian Cox on, or uh, Sean Carroll or something. And I'm yeah. really big onto the human condition is almost preset, and I wonder if the way we live now like technology and all that kind of thing it's just completely fucked us all over and short-circuited us because you don't like men don't have to be the hunter-gatherers anymore it's a it's a weird kind of position for some men to be in where it used to be well men had their role of right i'm gonna make all the money pay for all the stuff and that's my job fulfilled whereas now it's it's obviously roles reversed and thankfully now women are more empowered to do whatever they want to do and I think that's why you yeah, see a, a lot definitely. of men like get fucking confused and start doing weird shit. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I feel completely emasculated by society <laughs> all the time. As an example, DIY, the extent of my DIY is assisting an older man to put up a shelf. <laughs> he knows what he's doing and he can tell me what to do. And I, I know where to draw the pencil marks for the, the drill holes because he told me. I, I can change light bulbs. I can, like, mow the lawn. But if you ask me to put up decking, I'm getting a specialist in. I am scraping together money to get someone else in because I am not that manly in that sense. I am, uh, an, I have total NPC energy. I will just sit and let the main character do that side quest that I've asked them to do for me. Side quest. Just let the world happen to you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I, I changed the oil in my car on Thursday and I spent the next half an hour just flexing in my manliness. Nice. Yeah, and that's, that is the thing as well, isn't it? Like, any time now that any of me or my friends do something, we, we can't stop talking about it for days, like we've achieved something. Oh, I changed a flat tyre. And I don't understand what you're so proud of. You should be able to do stuff like that. And I think, I think subconscious, I, like I was say, I think subconsciously that's why I'm kind of in my own head about this all like midlife crisis kind of thing. I think there's a, a subconscious thing there of like, you know, like leaving your mark on the world or something like that. And it's crazy. It is crazy because in a weird way, at some point, nothing you've ever done or have ev- or ever will do actually matters in a weird way because at some point (laughs) the sun's going to blow up and everything will cease to exist i'm in this weird sort of state where i'm kind of caught in between maybe maybe i could do this and then thinking yeah but why and i can't like i'm kind of stuck in that cycle sometimes at some point something will bring me out of it and it'll be something stupid like it'll be a piece of media like I suddenly start reading a book I really enjoy, or I suddenly start watching a TV show I like, or playing a new game or something, and I'll just flip out of yeah. it. And I think it's that, like, like I've said to people before, I, I kind of if I spend too much time in my own thoughts and in my own head, I just start going a bit bonkers. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Like I, sometimes I am um, terrified by my own um, insignificance in the universe. That's why I always say to people, <laughs> like, I never want to go into space. Like if that becomes a thing, because I feel like once you get like out of the atmosphere and you can see. The earth down below you, I'll just like, adopt the fetal position and start crying because that just makes me, it will make me realize like how, you know, how nothing I am. And I don't want to feel that way. I don't know. I'd like to go up there because I feel that way anyway. <laughs> I have that level of insignificance. I know that. I mean, I can't put a shelf up on my own, but if someone invited me to space, yeah, I'm going. <laughs> That's that's a level up for me. I would do it, but I would be terrified. That's like, eight levels up the whole time. I read an amazing, an amazing, amazing comment on a YouTube video the other day. It's like one of the most sort of poignant yet hard hitting comments I ever read, and it was something along the lines of "We gained all this knowledge to realize that we don't matter." <laughs> I was like, "Oh yeah!" Like for, for years a and YouTube years. YouTube comment. Yeah, I mean, that I was, mean... that's insane. <laughs> Just I, I to was... cut in there blown away a youtube comment has like deep philosophy in it because usually it's just people shitting on other people yeah or was that that was someone like shitting on someone else to make them feel in, as insignificant as possible well no they, like, they, they they quoted somebody in the this youtube comment quoted somebody so this comments from a scientist and i and i can't remember who it is and i, I can't find it again now it's ah, disappeared right. somewhere but that was the point that this this physicist or 
whoever said that, yeah, we, we gained all this knowledge to realize that we were completely insignificant. I was like, yeah, you're right. It's so true. Oh, here's a question because of the Christ. Well, completely off the rails already, like at some point parenting, but whatever. Oh, Christ. <laughs> See, now I can't remember what I was going to say. <laughs> it's gone. What the hell? Midlife senility oh, has taken hold. Yeah, midlife senility has taken over. It's that uh, you, you, one foot in the warm bath of dementia. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> it's all that heading of a football I did when I was young. It's catching up to me. <laughs> It's a, pre- it's a proven oh thing God, now. Right. Head in the ball's bad for you. Right. Here, here's my don't let your kid be deaf like me tip of the week, the month, whatever. <laughs> okay. On that note, when I when I was a kid, a very awkward kid, and I'll get into the background of why probably at some point in these podcasts, to show off to someone, to a girl I liked while I was in primary school, uh, and I thought, you know what girls like? They like tough boys. So what I did was I got the heaviest book I could find and just smacked myself in the face with it like three times in a row, as hard as possible. Just went, look, that didn't hurt. Oh! <laughs> like ran off with tears in my face, blood pouring out of my nose, and then going, oh, that wasn't the best idea possible. And I've never learned since then the correct way of showing to a woman. I, I'm a prospective date here. I am... Um, masculine and strong in this way so that's why i go down other routes but just on that point of uh heading the ball that's why i've got dementia i'm sure now that that didn't help and i'm I'm gonna be on that route before i know it (laughs) so mum's dad don't let your kid do that there teach them there are better ways to demonstrate their worth to other people than how tough their head and face is (laughs) i should start making this in this really shouldn't i you should that brings us back to why we're doing this podcast. So go on, Danny. Oh, mate, segue. Segway, segue, beautiful, a beautiful segue. <laughs> I have a nine-year-old daughter. Adam has, how, how old are your kids, Adam? I've got three. I'm a dad of three. I've got a girl who's 12, a boy who's 10, and another girl who's five. And our friend Benny announced to us the other day that he's going to be a dad for the first time, which is excellent news. And it's a little girl. Which is great, because I think little girls are awesome. I don't like little boys. They freak me out, and I just, yeah, I find them very annoying, but whatever. Apart from yours, Adam, Daniel's cool. Yeah, yeah. He's a nice, he's a a good boy. He's a good boy. But most little (laughs) boys just want to fight each other, which I did as well, but whatever. And that's where the idea for this came from. And I I thought it'd be a cool idea to get on here and talk to the world and just kind of talk about sort of parenting in general from a male perspective, just to see if, you know, and, yeah. and I'm sh- I am convinced, I am convinced we're going to say the absolute stupidest dumb shit on here. <laughs> I have no doubt about that. And no doubt in my mind at all that we have it so easy compared to women when it comes to the whole process. But the only thing I wanted to ask Benny to, I guess, start this off with, with was, uh, how are you feeling about it, Benny? What are your thoughts? What are you thinking about right now? Um, it was a mixture of terror and excitement, pretty much. Um, we found out back in September, just to date this, that um, my partner was with child. And we waited until the 12-week scan to tell close family, which you guys are very upset about. I'm so sorry. And um, then we had our 20-week scan, the week just gone. And that's when we have let it known, open to everybody. But yeah, we're both very excited, a bit nervous. But at the same time, like I'm of the feeling that I'm not the one who has to do anything. My role is to make sure my partner is uh, 
happy and healthy and in the best shape possible for when little girl comes at the end of April. I'm going to, I'll say this first. I don't know how you felt, Adam, with, with your three, but with mine, it was really weird in that for the longest time, it didn't really occur to me that my wife was had a baby. It was more, I was just taking care of my wife because she needed my help. It wasn't that there was a baby on the way. It was more that my wife just needed my help and I was just helping her be comfortable and safe and all that kind of thing. And it wasn't until my daughter was literally in my arms at like 10 seconds old, <laughs> I was just kind of thinking, oh yeah, it's a, yeah, there's a baby. It's a baby, of course, yeah. <laughs> this is what's happened. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, how was it, it for you, Adam? What was yours like? For me, God, I mean, every single time it was scary. <laughs> it was nerve-wracking. The first time's obviously the worst. But each and every time had its own unique difficulties. So just to lay a bit of background now, uh, my two eldest children are with one partner, uh, or ex-partner now, and my youngest is with another ex-partner. So I'm a single dad of three. So I'm coming at this from a completely different perspective than you guys are, really. My eldest two, with the first one, my daughter Sophie, it was the best thing. I was so looking forward to that. We were trying, and we'd been told before, just a couple of weeks before we found out, that actually, based on my partner at the time's hormone levels and everything like that, it's unlikely we'd be able to ever conceive, let alone have a child, let alone have two. And the weird thing was, she was pregnant at the time. They didn't pick that up. So we had like a few weeks of mourning and grieving until we found out, well, actually, let me get a test and it came back positive. And then we did like five or six more tests, as you do, because you want to be sure. And that came back positive. And that was amazing. We were so over the moon. With my son, it was very scary because now we're getting into the point where, oh, we've got a lot of money and time and everything else tied up in this one child, and now we're bringing another one into the mix, is everything going to be okay? And it became more scary in that regard, rather than a joyful celebration. Not to say there was no joy in it, there was a lot, but there is about 20-odd months between them. So when you've got a 20-, 22-month-old child already, as you know, Dan, you're kind of life just revolves around routine doing everything in that one routine and anything to disrupt that even minor just it gives you a shit day so then when you go well actually here's a here's a big disruption another baby fuck you've got to rewrite your whole life when it came to my third child uh the situation was completely different obviously i had my elder children part-time anyways kind of like half time a little bit less And it was, again, something we were trying for. And again, it was a really joyful experience, but tied up with other stresses as well to do with like medical history and things like that. And it was a really worrisome time leading up to the birth just to make sure we could get there and everything was safe. And everything was. And I've had no problems with any of the births, probably because all I did was like stand there and just go, yay. Go, go vagina, push, push, push. <laughs> uh, and then, then they came out. Obviously, from from my perspective as, as a dad looking into it, the whole anticipation is the big thing. 
And again, going back to what I said earlier about how society feels you emasculated, there is nothing more emasculating than being the father-to-be leading up to a child being born. Because none Mm -hmm. of it is about you. But you have to be there and you have to pay attention to every single thing. And none of it is about you. And rightly so, but it is difficult to deal with, I found. I didn't care that I wasn't involved in that way. That, That never bothered me. What bothered me was that, and I'm sure, and this is one of the reasons why I wanted to do this, was that I think at some point every dad thinks that, of you know, I'm doing something wrong or I'm making a mistake. I don't know what I'm doing. This is just all going wrong. Like this kid's going to grow up, I don't know, hating me or I've done the stupidest thing here. What do I do? And it just, somebody told me that it's okay if you make mistakes. Looking after a baby is easy, but very tiring. And he said, look at all the idiots around you who've got kids. Like, look at people in the street and stuff. Seven teeth between two people and stuff like that. And you think, Christ, how have they, like, how have they managed to have kids? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, you can, you can barely look after yourself, let alone a young human. And he said, yeah. if you're feeling scared, then that's a good thing. That means that, okay, you're really worried about this kid and you're going to do everything you can to make it better and make it work and make it right. It means you care. Don't and it? I just kind of took heed from that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I'm just, I people, I mean, God, Benny, you're going to get so sick of people giving you advice. And I'm sure at some point, me, I'm sure at some point, me and Adam will give you advice. But it's, it's looking after babies is really easy. You're just going to be more tired than you've ever been in your entire life. As long as they're fed, as long as they're clean, as long as they're warm, and as long as they, you know, as long as they can get some sleep. That's it. There's, there's nothing else to worry about. It's really easy looking after that kid. But you've just got to then, like Adam said before, you're going to have to fit around that baby's schedule. When that baby needs feeding, it needs feeding. You better feed it. When you just you just run through the check, when the baby's crying, you just run through your checklist. Okay, has she been fed? Oh yeah, so is she tired? No, she's just woken up. Oh, it's probably a nappy then. Okay, all right, it's a nappy and then we'll change it. And it's just that. But as long as you're prepared for those four things, for the first sort of seven, eight, nine months, it's it's not that difficult. It's just really tiring. It's just really, really tiring. So it's basically an easy job with uh, terrible hours, then. Yeah. Which, to be fair, is most of the, pretty much most of the jobs I've ever had. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is that. Yeah. It's a really easy job with just the worst hours possible. The worst hours, yeah. Benny. Mm-hmm. The worst. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, and I don't know if I don't know what you, um, your good lady, going to do in regards to feeding and all that kind of thing. I don't know what Adam did, and you know, I know, I know, breast is best and all that kind of thing, but my wife had a really bad birth and lost tons of blood and just couldn't produce any milk. It was an absolute disaster, basically, uh, which is something I'll ask Adam in a minute. I just, I look back now with just such happiness that there was times when my wife was asleep and we, we bottle fed our daughter. So I'd go down, like I'd go downstairs, get a bottle and just sit with my daughter in the middle of the night, just giving her a drink, you know, just giving her a milk. And it was the best thing. It was just it was just the most beautiful, relaxing thing I've ever done. And it sounds crazy because like yeah. the second you wake up, you're just like, oh, my God, like, is this earth? What's happening? <laughs> and you're just like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, bottle, bottle, bottle. You just go down, you know, go downstairs, grab your bottle, warm it up. And that was it. And it was just, it was just the best thing I ever did. Like with my youngest, uh, no, eldest, when she was the youngest. <laughs> when uh, she was born, we tried breastfeeding and it just didn't work. She lost loads of weight and uh, my partner, her mum, felt so low because she couldn't breastfeed. Because it was so drilled into her that she has to do it. 
it it has to be done. It has to be breast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and she couldn't, so she felt like a failure. But that time when we first started getting her onto the bottle, and she just latched onto it, and she just gulped it down after going through the birth, after going through like days of shit, she isn't feeding, she's losing weight, she's becoming dehydrated to the point where you have to go to hospital to get her checked out, and then to see her feeding on a bottle. And then just go, yeah, that that's fine. That is what we're doing. And carrying on from there was just such a godsend. And to me, I'll always have a lot of respect for bottles and formula feeding for that. Because breastfeeding doesn't suit everyone. It isn't possible with everyone. And it can give your kid everything that they need. But with my youngest, who is the youngest now, she was solely breastfed. And it's a completely different experience. Again, you become so less involved unless mum is expressing into bottles so you can feed. My youngest mum didn't. She just wanted to do it all herself and have that one-on-one time with uh, my daughter. That's perfectly fine. But it does leave you kind of out of the loop as a dad. And you don't have necessarily that same connection that you would do Uh, or as I did with my eldest two, where they were bottle-fed, and I could get involved, and I could do like the late-night feeds, and you can almost share the responsibility in that way, a lot more so than you can if they are solely breastfed. The best memories I have of when they were young was, like, late at night, or just before, like, you all go to bed, like 10, 11 o'clock, you have all the lights down, you have the TV on really quiet, if it's even on at all, and you just hold your baby and feed them. And they feed from you, and then they go sleep after you've burnt them and everything. And you don't want to move, because you just go, oh my god, this is the best. Like, looking at your kid and just feeling their warmth and feeling how relaxed and safe they feel on you. It's like, yeah, I I can't hold any woman in disregard for only wanting to do breastfeeding and only wanting that and no bottle feeding at all because it's such a nice feeling. And I'd imagine even more so when they're feeding directly from you. Benny, did you did you plan this? Or was it just a case of we're not going to be careful and if it happens, great? Or was it like, a okay, we're planning to do this now? No, you got it spot on. It was a case of like, uh, you know, we're not going to try to not have a, a child. You know, if it happens, it happens. Just um, it was kind of made awkward by coronavirus and lockdown is that we had to be a little bit sneaky about everything as um <laughs> we don't currently live together we're currently buying a house now hopefully we'll be moving in together like in the new year but at the, at, the, at that time it was kind of difficult for anything romantic shall we say to happen <laughs> and then yeah just suddenly i guess stars aligned for us is the only way I can put it like yeah. she's always wanted to have she, she said to me the other day she's wanted to have kids since she was like 16 and I was like I wasn't bothered one way or the other until I met her until I saw like her desire to want to be a mother and like I, I love her I want to give her what she wants so that's what I Aww. that's what I wanted to do for yeah. her so you're saying that this baby was kind of, you know, the kind of romance was taken out of having this baby. Does that mean it was conceived in the back of a, a corsa? Is that what you're trying to tell us, Benny? I have a fiesta, actually. Thank you very much. 
<laughs> oh, okay, yeah, back right. in the back of a few. There's no romance. Find an Let's go. <laughs> and it's better than like just doing it by post, for example. That's a fair point. Yeah, I'm, bit... I'm afraid we can't be in the same property, but I'll just leave this in your post box if you don't mind just applying it later tonight. We shall see what happens. This was the thing as well, is that we've all got very different experiences, is that my daughter was conceived via IVF. So I can, I, I'm happy to talk about this, and this is another reason why I wanted to kind of get this out there, in that I come at this from a different point completely where the, me and my wife were told you're going to really struggle to have kids because my wife has polycystic ovaries. And if you've ever seen an episode of The Simpsons where the homosperms are like bonking into each other and there's like four of them in there, <laughs> that was me. Because we went to, we were trying to have a baby for about a year, probably about a year and a half or so. And we just weren't conceiving. So we went to the doctors and they sat us both down and basically said to me and my wife, uh, they said to Sarah first, well, you have a really inhospitable womb and you have polycystic ovaries. And basically, uh, Daniel, you've got so few swimmers, the ones that get in there are immediately shot by <laughs> the sentry turrets that are like, on guard of Sarah's womb. And I said, <laughs> well, how many, how many have I got? And they said, oh, about, you know, there was about eight or nine. And I said, million? And they said, no, eight or nine. Not million, <laughs> eight or nine. I was like, right, okay then. So they said to me, Okay, so the, this, the good news is we can fix this problem. So there's like, do you drink lots? I was like, no, and I'm teetotal, so I don't, I don't drink at all. I said, all oh, right, do you smoke? Nope, don't smoke. Do you take drugs? Nope, I don't take drugs. I don't do anything. And then they said, which was the worst thing, they just said, I'll be honest, I'm not sure what I can suggest to you. And then I'm just thinking, oh, great. I can't even give my wife a kid. And we only found out a way to fix it because I was, I mean, just Googling, I mean, constantly looking for anything and I found a story about a, a chef who was struggling to conceive because he was stood in front of ovens all day working. Mm. And it was basically cooking his nuts. And I'm always really, like, I'm always really warm. I'm one of those twats who always wears shorts in the winter because I'm always really warm. <laughs> it's not a, you know, I'm a tough guy thing. I'm just, I'm just always quite warm. So I thought, well, that's really weird. So I started going commando. I started wearing loose pants. I was like walking around the house full, full on Winnie the Pooh style, just like top and no pants, trying to cool, <laughs> trying to like cool. I've gone full Winnie the Pooh, trying to cool down my nuts. So we went back about two months after, and they said, "Oh yeah, you've got about two million sort of decent swimmers." And we we're like, "Right, okay, now we can do the IVF." And there'll be more IVF stories coming out at some point. But the funniest thing was, we said to the, um, we said to the doctor, "Shout out, Doctor Armitage, absolute ledge." We said, what's the NHS waiting list for uh, IVF or having the treatment? And he said, it's about 18 months. And then we said, what if we went private? He literally put his finger on the intercom and went, yeah, can you book Mr. and Mrs. Masters in for tomorrow, please, at six? And that was it. He booked us in like, <laughs> the next day for private. The next day, he was like, yeah, come and see me tomorrow privately. We'll do this that way. It's like, right, okay. Nice. And uh, yeah, that was it. If you're planning on doing IVF privately, I don't know how, you know, there's obviously different ways to do it, but the way we do it, the way we did it, sorry, in the end ended up costing us about five and a half grand to get our daughter here. So just if you're ever listening to this and you're thinking, what does it cost? It cost around about five grand to to sort of go through the whole, and I'll talk through the whole process at, you know, at some point, you know, on another show, but it's a really long process and it's way more, way more involved than I thought it would be. I literally thought it was go to the hospital, have a couple of injections, bing, bang, bosh, baby. 
but it isn't. It's it's a long, long, arduous process. And the odds of it succeeding are actually less than half. So I think the percentage chance of having a baby, even if you do everything right, is about 44%. So you still have to beat the odds to get the kid, like, actually there, which yeah. is pretty, you know, which is pretty mad, really, but... So yeah, but that was that anyway. But Adam, some that was you. Did you uh, did you spend any time at the business end during the birth, or did you stay head end? Oh, what happened? I was total business end. I I had yes, no my man. about the whole Let's thing. Let's go. Team business. I, I Team business. To see baby. It happen. Obviously, yeah. I I was there to just support the mum. Yeah. And just to like hold a hand, dab her head, get, get shouted at, go out and like grab sandwiches and what have you from the the little vending machine in the waiting room whatever she needed me to do but as soon as that baby kept coming out right i'm I'm down the end i want to see the whole thing <laughs> i'll be back in a minute love <laughs> <laughs> sorry can you let go please i i need to look at your vagina you uh, like, no. to, like forcefully pull yourself away get off get off me get off <laughs> take I only get to see this once. <laughs> Three times that happened. So, yeah, I went to see the whole thing. And it is uh, oh, it's amazing. It, the thing that got me every single time was there is so, so much build-up to the whole thing. And, and you don't experience any of that, like the physical side of it, apart from tiredness yeah. and, you know, the emotional side of it. But nothing compared to what Mum's going through. But... All of that build-up is over in, like, a few seconds. As soon as that baby's head starts coming out, flump, the head's out, quick twist, shoulders out, and the baby just, like, slides out as soon as those shoulders are gone. And that's what got me every single time. I was like, holy fuck, the baby's out now? Now it's a person? No! <laughs> what do we do? And then it's just hectic from there. It's like, right, they need to dry it off. Right. Mum's exhausted, and he's like, oh my god, that's so good. Oh, cut the cord. Shit, it's still going on, because there's afterbirth. Now they need, like, the perineum sewed up, because that's split. And, oh, it's, it didn't end at all, until that point where, right, Mum's off for a shower, or a bath, or to use mm. the toilet, or whatever she needs to do, and you're <laughs> just left with the baby. And then it hits you that, shit, this is my kid... And that's it now for life. Shit, you've got to put up with me for the rest of my life, little in. <laughs> you've you've got to deal with me, and I'll be a good dad if I can. But uh, <laughs> it's a lot. I think of everyone has. I think everyone has the same thing. Everyone I've spoke to said that they drove home, they got home with the baby, put it on the floor. Both sat down on the couch and went, what do we do now? Because <laughs> that's it. That baby goes home with you and there's all that build up. And now the baby's there and you're like, shit, what do we do now? Like, what happens? And like, yeah, you just like yeah. I said, it's going to cry. And then that's one of four things. That's all you got to do then. That's it. Here's a question, yeah. Benny. Is uh, Do you think, uh, has Blossom got any kind of temper at all? Is she going to be the kind of uh, screamy, shouty, you motherfucker, how dare you do this to me in the birth? She in the f- nearly four years that I've known her, I have not. I don't think she is that sort of person. But you know, judging from every way you're saying, it's a bit of a yeah. hectic time. So she could turn on me, on, like on a turn on a dime and start going at me. I imagine. I imagine limbs and heads will be thrown. Oh yeah. I never like uh, yeah. considered yeah, myself sure. like, as you say, going down to the business end to watch everything because 
I'm terrified that I'll pass out and suddenly uh, there's another, suddenly a bunch more doctors in there to tend to me while she's uh, doing doing her business. Um, <laughs> but you've kind of sold it a bit for me there, Adam. I think I might have to dip my head down. Mate, it's... trust me, it is it is amazing. It is fantastic. It, it It's not like gross or anything like that. You're just looking and you go, oh, okay, the vagina's getting wider. And, oh, there's hair inside the vagina. And that's the baby's head. And your mind just blows. Because you realise, shit, this is it. This whole, like, hypothetical situation that we're in is real now. Because I can see it. Mum's mm. fine. Because she's had months of it fluttering around, kicking her in a bladder and stretching out a belly and everything like that. She knows full well that that baby's in there. But to you, it's... It's not real till you see it. That's what I found, anyway. I think the thing that she's worried about, uh, which you, I noticed you didn't bring up when you were talking about your kids being ball, is uh, me watching her shit herself when she uh, has the baby. I think she's concerned that I'm going <laughs> to see that and not want to um, have anything to do with her anymore. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, mate. Yeah, every time. But it's fine, because it's just two. <laughs> and then... It's fine, because you are not focused on that. <laughs> You're focused on the baby. I mean, the baby is essentially, if the bumhole is like a tube of toothpaste, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's squeezing and flattening that toothpaste as it comes out. And so that's bound to happen. But it's perfectly fine, because you just think, well, yeah, I understand why. And at the end of the day, you know, you are going to be faced with so much True, more poop yeah. in your immediate future that that yeah. that I oh, that so part I'm prepared so for. I'm prepared. I'm prepared to be swimming in the stuff. Yeah. But I guess when it comes from an infant, you know, it's to be expected. Not when your um, fully grown adult fiance is shitting all over a hospital bed or <laughs> whatever she chooses to have the baby in, because there's all sorts of different ways it can be done yeah. now. She was telling me the other day. I don't know about this. Well, as I said the other day, it was like a while ago, like when we first met each other, and they can do it in a pool. And that sounds like the coolest thing in the world. The baby's coming out like a water slide and just into a pool. Yeah. <laughs> splash. It's like it's like um splash. It's like splash mountain. Yeah. You just think about like other mind like, cover, aren't you? It's it's not oh. like the the tropical not, not the rapids center parks or lazy river or anything oh, yeah. like that. There's no like waves or anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not going down the tropical cyclone and giving birth. <laughs> Lifeguard on standby, just in case. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Benny. Fucking I think... Tarzan yell goes out as you, you know, the head's crowning. <laughs> I would say, Benny, just to tell your good lady that in that at that point, the last thing she's going to care about is shitting herself. I, I don't think she'll oh, yeah. care at all. I don't know if she's going to have drugs or not. Adam, I don't know if any, you know, if uh, your kids, if the mums had drugs or anything, but the second they said to my wife, do you want an epidural? She said, uh, yeah, immediately, because the pain yeah. was getting... Because Sarah was in... We went into hospital on the Tuesday. No, sorry, the, the Sunday, and George wasn't born until the Wednesday morning. So Sarah had been in hospital for like three days, and at that point she was just, yeah, I mean, get this fucking thing out of me now. I am... I'm going to scream if you don't. So they're like, do you want an epidural? Yeah, yes, please. And you know what? The epidural for me was fucking terrifying. So I just thought... An epidural was just a little injection in the arm and it makes mm. you go a bit numb and that was it. No, <laughs> nope. I didn't realize this, but it's an injection in the spine in between the discs. We had to sign a form to say, 
just so you're aware that if this goes wrong, your wife could be paralyzed. I was like, fucking what? Are you mad? Yeah. And like, my wife was two weeks late as well. I knew that. And in my, in my mind's eye, it was a, it's a big comedy fuck off needle yeah. as well. I don't know. That's yeah. true. So, yeah. so, we, so we said, yeah, we want the, we want yeah, the epidural. Yeah. And then literally the surgeon guy came in and like was getting ready to be scrubbed up. The guy was putting on the equipment for him. So there was no dirt. Everything was like super, super, super sterilized and clean. And the whole process was super sterilized and clean. But they're trying to say to my wife, like, mm-hmm. can you, you have to lean over. Like you're trying to crouch over. So she's got, a, yeah. and at this point she's two weeks late. So she's got a nine and a half month baby in her tummy. And she's trying to like lean over and they keep going, oh, no, just hang on a second. And I'm like, oh my God, like they're going to fuck this up. And I'm walking out of here with a baby and my wife now in a wheelchair I was fucking terrified. Terrified. I'm not kidding. Ten seconds after that needle goes in, she was completely different. Completely fine. I said, <laughs> can you feel anything? She's like, no, no, not a thing. It's like the weirdest thing. Ten seconds early, she'd been screaming and fucking effing, as you know, my wife, screaming <laughs> and effing and jeffing and all kinds of stuff. But the second she had that epidural, she was perfectly fine. Were yours all natural ads or did they have drugs or gas and air or what did they have? Uh, all, all three births, they had gas and air. Yeah, uh, all the way through, which they all they both found was fantastic, amazing thing. And I never had the opportunity to go, all right, give me a bit, as like some people <laughs> do. Uh, yeah. So I, d- I don't know how effective it is. I- I've seen the negative side of it with, uh, with another thing. My son, uh, when he broke his leg, they tried to give him son uh, on the uh, playground when it happened while they were waiting for the ambulance to turn up. And yeah, he was pissed out of his head basically immediately it was just like no I way this, I hate it. this is disgusting. <laughs> and we had to like stop him from having it because he was just it was horrendous for him but yeah for the ladies it was perfectly fine uh for the first birth it was really painful so she also had something called pethidin which is like a dimorphine injection which i think i was like in your fire in your bum and it was just to give her some rest because she'd been kind of pu- pushing for so long and the contractions had been going and she's still a bit out of it when the baby actually came. Second one, I remember less of, I think just because it, it was just so much stuff going on, trying to, you know, deal with my 20-month-old and obviously my my partner was in labour and going through all of that, it, that I don't remember too much of. But again, gas and air was used. And for my youngest... My partner then, she only used gas and air, and it made her hilarious. She thought, because she had this mask on her face and was like had a tank by her, that now she was under the water and she was a scuba diver. And she kept humming <laughs> the songs from Little Mermaid to herself. <laughs> when we moved like from the labour ward up to the delivery suite, she was just like, don't, don't let me drop the mask because I'll drown. <laughs> Please don't let me drop the mask. And she got so panicky about it. But then when she was up there and she was laid down, she was like perfectly fine. And she doesn't remember that at all. But I love to remind her of it as much as possible, even though we're not together now. I'll still mention it in conversation. Just go, oh, remember that time you were a bit of a dickhead? She changed her <laughs> ringtone to under the sea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so no, no spinal taps or anything. And all of the births were just in hospital suites. So no pool births, no kind of non-medical births in that sense. 
the younger, she was the easiest because she was a, a little in compared to my other two who were like, my, my lad was nearly nine pound and he was a couple of weeks early. <laughs> and my, my daughter was Jesus. like, yeah, she was like nine pound and she was on time. I mean, I was £10.12 when I was born, so my mum had to have me by C-section. Mm. So it's it runs in the family in that regard. But yeah, my youngest, she was just a normal like size and just like popped out. My, my partner had to hold her in because she, we she was born on the 1st of September, two minutes after midnight. And all the way through the birth, as soon as we found out when the child was going to be born... It was, right, she better be born on the 1st September because we wanted to be the oldest in a year and not the youngest in a year. <laughs> oh, yeah. So she literally, the midwife said, why aren't you pushing to her? And she's like, I'm not pushing. I'm gonna, I'm contracting. I'm holding it in. And until we went, okay, it's past midnight now. It's 1st September. And then like 30 seconds later, baby was born. <laughs> That's amazing. I thought you were going to say you were ten pounds something, so you you were born by pulley system or something like that. <laughs> no, no section. I mean, I, they may have used like a, a block and tackle or whatever it was, to like lift me out of the womb. I hung up there like Jaws. Yeah, <laughs> the end of Jaws. Just smacked on the ass until I cried, and that was fine. <laughs> yeah, George was big. George was eight pound twelve, but then she was two weeks late, so it wasn't like. You know, that's yeah. kind of, but like you put your boy being that big and like a month earlier than George, you're like, if he'd have got an extra month, Jesus Christ. Oh yeah, yeah. And you wouldn't think of it to like look at him normally. Like now he's got a bit of weight on him because he, he's been off cause he like off his feet because he broke his leg and uh, put a bit of weight on because he didn't exercise. But before he was skinny as a bean pole. Yeah, just a regular. It's only, life, it's it? only my eldest daughter who's like takes after me in that sense of like just has a nice little bit of puppy fat. And my youngest is just skinny as a rake. I, I worry because I want to like feed her up and make her fat <laughs> like me, but I know I shouldn't. <laughs> like you're trying to sell her off to some like seventh century king. Look how well fed she is. Look at her. <laughs> Look She's at perfect. her teeth. Her yeah. teeth are yellowed by sugar because we are a rich family and we can afford it. <laughs> So Benny, like any any burning questions as yet? Anything you're worried about? Anything you want to just, I mean, quickly get off your get off your chest at this uh, late stage of the show? Um, God, put me on the spot. Oh, it's just like the general, like usual dad things, like just don't fuck this up, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think just for the next um, twenty plus weeks, I just need constant uh, encouragement that. I am not a terrible human being, and I will make a passable father who will not ruin my daughter's life. That's what I'm. That's what I'm trying to aim for. Uh, the the Aww. the the the, plus, the high grade side is typical embarrassing dad, which is what I am. You know, that's what I want to be. Below that is, I think we'll yeah. Below that's like spoily dad, but yeah, you know, I I want to embarrass my kids at every uh, moment possible. I think we can't help. I think we can't help like embarrassing our kids. I think even if you don't try to, it's just like this innate thing that at some point you are going to embarrass them. And the good thing is as well about being a dad with a daughter, you can threaten the embarrassment, which is even worse. I threaten my daughter with embarrassment all the time. I'm like, if you don't come and give me a cuddle, bye. I'll just kneel on the floor in the school playground and cry and pretend. Like, I'll, I'll pretend and I'll just I'll, I'll just pretend to cry. She's like, don't you dare! I'm like, no, I'll just I'll just kneel on the floor and pretend to cry if you don't cuddle me. She's like, okay, fine, fine. And then we have a cuddle. I'm like, see you later, baby, love you. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. yeah, you can't. I'll be so. The other thing, dad. the other thing that I am um, 
looking forward to is threatening and then following through on eating up all the boys in their class. <laughs> if, they even decide to, if, if they even decide to look at her like um, the wrong way, might they're getting dad happen. punched. Might yeah, not might not happen. Might not they happen. might be gay or bisexual or asexual or anything like that. You I'm happy know. to. I'm happy to put this out into the world. I don't care. I am praying my daughter is gay. Because the thought of some dirty, fucking, spotty, oiky boy <laughs> coming near my beautiful pr- coming near my beautiful princess is disgusting. Because I know what boys are like. At least if yeah. it's a girl, I can say, "Oh, she's really cool." But yeah, no boys. Like I said, like I said at the start, yeah, boys, not for me. Sorry, <laughs> I'm really not. Yeah, just don't. They're not keen on little boys. I find them particularly annoying. So if my daughter comes on one day with a girl, so in conclusion, um, girls rule, boys drool. Yeah, girls rule, boys. Drool down with boys, definitely. Uh, yeah, I, my, I can't say I, I like both my my boy and my girls <laughs> equally. Of course, of course. Obviously, That's fine. but just by numbers, I am slightly biased towards girls. But that yeah, just but... means my boy is my special boy, and he That's gets very all true. of my all of my love in that regard. That's and, very true. Yeah, getting back to your point, Benny, it is hard. All of that pressure on, like, I want to be a good dad and I want to do mm-hmm. right by them. Yeah, it's just as long as they're still speaking to you, like past the age of ten, I think you'd be fine. <laughs> this would be a cool thing to discuss uh, on a on a later show, but you just never know what's going to happen. You can do the absolute best you can, mm. and I'll maybe I'll maybe talk this about this a bit more um, at another point. But my wife and her sister, there's thirteen months between them. And they are completely, completely different. And they were raised exactly the same way. Because my wife's got a younger sister who's eight years younger. So my wife and there's my wife and her sister who are like really close, like only like say only about a year apart, and then there's an eight year gap. By the time my wife's younger sister was born, my wife's family had was kind of then like living a middle class lifestyle. But when my wife was born, they were living working class. And they were raised exactly the same. It wasn't like my wife got loads of money spent on her, loads more presents, or the other one got like loads more grief because she was the oldest. No, they were raised, because they were so close, they were raised pretty much exactly the same. Yet, they're completely, completely different people. Yeah. And it's just weird. because you, and, and you just never know. You just never know what's going to happen. You just have to do the best you can and hopefully make all the right decisions. But there's no... I mean, there are right and wrong answers, but little things, you just, you just kind of got to go as you see it at the time, and hope it works out. I nice one. have something to add. I've oh, got, go on. I've got two things I want to raise as a regular thing, a recurring segment of the fact that I spend too much time just Googling random shit. Now, one of the things ties in to the situation we're in. Benny's having a little right. girl, but hasn't chosen a name. So, I want to go through every week <laughs> until we... <laughs> So we get a name. Some of the <laughs> shittest or weirdest baby names <laughs> oh, God. in history. And I found an absolute cracker to get started. Not a hugely common girl's name. Shanda. S-H-A-N-D-A. And you may think, yeah, Shanda, okay. Not great, but kind of like a Sharony, Sandra type of name. No, the person who called their third daughter, Shanda, was the founder of the Lear oh, no. airplane company, Bill Lear. Oh, dear. So this poor girl was called Shanda Chandelier. Lear. Chandelier, oh my God. 
I was so late getting into that joke then. <laughs> oh my god, chandelier! Why would chandelier. you do that? Why? <laughs> I mean, okay, you're you're obviously well to do, and you're you oh. can just do what you want, really. <laughs> but to call your kid chandelier, damn, that kid get a bit married, like <laughs> really young, <laughs> just to change Bloody the hell. surname. Okay, and the other thing is weird pieces of old parenting advice. So, stuff you probably shouldn't do or worry about. And this is about weaning. So, that point where you want to get your baby off of just the milk and you want to introduce nice things to them. A bit of fruit, a bit of vegetables, like a little bit of orange peel in a, in a little net thing for them to numb on so they can start getting used to other things. The Physical Life of Woman, a very old book, says to wean an infant in wow. the city in hot weather is to expose it to almost certain death. <laughs> if you're obliged during the summer to give up nursing your child, you need to get a wet nurse. If you can't get a wet nurse, send the child into the country. <laughs> Why? We don't know. Maybe it's like the hot weather in the city sours your breast milk. Who knows? Yeah, maybe. I mean, we put it like that. Fucking also, it all sort of like has a lick of sense to it. Yeah, maybe. Well, this is maybe it. not the sending the child into the country. Maybe you go with the child. No, into they have the to go fend for themselves. No, you know, no, you just send the kid. That's not what it says. It just says if she can't find a wet nurse. The child must be sent into the country. Not you must mm. take the child into the country. You you give it a little cummerbund, not cummerbund, a bindle, a little, have a sack on a stick, bindle, cummerbund, cummerbund on a stick. Yeah, a cummerbund. Just send your child like the, to the opera. Yeah, no, cover up that like drying crispy it's a fancy lap. child with a bindi, bindle and a cummerbund. A bindi. A bindi, a bindle, and a cummerbund. Oh my this God. poor child. Poor Shanda. Can send off poor into Shanda. The <laughs> See, now you've said that, I need to uh, throw in there that my own child's name that I heard, I used to work for a team that uh, helped look after children in a community. This was about four or five years ago. And I was talking to one of the nurses, and she had been out visiting this family, and she came back and she said, I've just been to see this mum, and... She was a she was a bit of a chavvy mum. She had a bit of a reputation, shall we say? And she said, "Oh, well, like you know, congratulations on your birthday, baby girl. What if you called her?" And she said, "Oh, we've we've called her uh, Sayoban." And they're like, "Wow, that's a really like unique, authentic okay. name. Is it like Italian or like is it Greek or something? Like, what, where, where's it from?" She's like, "No, it's um." She said, "I'll just spell it because it's easier." She's like, "Okay, yeah, sure." So it's a S I O B H A N. It was Siobhan, and the mum thought it was Sayoban. That's how you pronounce the name Siobhan. Dear me. Sayoban. Say- oh, no. <laughs> Isn't that just that... A... <laughs> Oh, that Say- poor kid. A poor Say- kid. Open. Like, if you didn't know how a name's pronounced, why would why would you choose that? You might like, oh, no we idea. like how it's written down. <laughs> yeah. We like, we like how it looks. Yeah, we like the, yeah, I like the look of it. Looks good. Sayoban. <laughs> no. Siobhan. <laughs> All right. There we go. Oh, dear. I like how we've got. I like how we've got two uh, recurring segments only a week in. That's good. That's good stuff. Yeah, I like it. You've done. Definitely. You've done prep. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. <laughs> Someone's clearly been thinking yes. about this. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. There we go. Thank you, everybody. See you next week. Bye bye. Ciao.